0: This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest. We've got Brother uh, Clay Jackson. Um, He's a a tremendous man of God. He's he's got uh, an incredible... uh, uh, resume uh, of what he's doing in the kingdom, um, and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast to talk about uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so, uh, Brother brother Jackson, if you'd just uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your ministry, uh, what's going on, you know, where you're at, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Fantastic. I want to thank
1: you, Brendan, uh, for having me as a guest today. Um, I live in Arlington, Tennessee, which is a a suburb of the Memphis metro area. I've lived in the Memphis area for over 20 years now, Um, and both my medical practice and our ministry activities and church-going activities are all centered around the Memphis metro area. Um, My wife, Jana, and I planted a church in the Arlington community two years ago, so who (laughs) who has the foresight to plant a church? Ahead of a 100 year pandemic, but that's what we did. And, uh, so we're enjoying that. Um, I have, uh, three children, uh, one of whom is uh, in college and two of whom are in diapers. So uh, they're two and a half years old and the twins are certainly, uh, keep us busy. People say, are they a handful? I say, no, they're, they're four hands full. So, um, just because, you know, we didn't want to get bored with twins. We decided to plan a church and, and there you have it. We have a wonderful group of people who are bringing uh, Christ's love to our community in the power of the Spirit. Um, we are excited um, to have an Apostolic Witness in Arlington. Amen. Um, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity that we have, and our city leaders have been very gracious to us, and uh, we've made inroads into the community, and uh, we're very excited. In fact, just today, uh, I have to share this, or I will, uh, we signed a, a lease on a new property that we'll be using um, for the church, we had been, uh, leasing sort of in a pop up style, uh, for hours per week at a, at a community center. Mm. And now we're able to have our own space. Um, and although we want to stay focused absolutely toward the community, it's wonderful to have a home base that we can utilize for those activities. And so,
0: absolutely we're
1: looking forward to that. So you had asked me a little bit about, um, mental health and mental wellness, uh, both mental illness and mental wellness with respect to mental health and how that ties into our uh, spirituality, how it ties into our biblical worldview, and how it ties into um, our interface with the scientific community, both in terms of therapy and theory. Uh, so I've prepared a few remarks today, but if there are any specific questions before we begin or comments, I'd love for you to share those uh, that might tailor our conversation. Then we'll spend 30 or 40 minutes for sort of diving into um, a few of those concepts.
0: So, um, well, I mean right off um I just think that it's I, I obviously I want to go uh in in a direction where um where the Lord will lead us um, i I just think that in scripture there there's a lot of hints towards um you know certain i guess disorders is what we would call them today um, and so throughout scripture we can we can find those those situations in those cases. Um, And then, you know, obviously there are some that are just natural, but then there are some that are not natural. And then, so, you know, you have several different accounts where people are harming themselves and doing things because of a demonic possession. Um, So I'm just really looking forward to where this conversation will go. And um, obviously uh, we're completely open uh, and we're just going to obey the Lord
1: fantastic well let me just uh, let's, let's just start with one of those case studies if you will uh, it's in Mark 9 uh, where there's a young boy who's brought by his father to Jesus and there's been some frustration because um, there was an attempt um, in Mark 9 um, to, to resolve the issue and uh, it, it was it was not resolved and so um, he comes to Jesus and he says this is um, this is what's happening to my child um, he's He's falling into the, the, the water, he's falling into the, the fire, and and all of this is all this is happening. And um he it, uh, the spirit sees him, it throws him on the ground, he foams the mouth, gnashes teeth, he becomes rigid, and he asks the disciples to drive out the spirit and they're unable to do so. Um now, if this young man presented at the behest of his father to my medical practice, and I took the clinical history and he said, you know he goes rigid, he foams the mouth, uh, he falls down in sort of this canatonic way, it goes in the fire, it goes to the water, then unless I receive some clues, working at that from a modern standpoint, I'm going to diagnose this child with epilepsy. Clearly, Scripture, which is inerrant, teaches that this was a spirit. The disciples were unable to to cast the spirit out, and Jesus did so, and this child was healed. And so I think this um, one case study Uh, in the New Testament, points us in a direction of some foundational truths that we should probably establish from the start.
0: We're in a fallen world. People suffer. Um, And people suffer for a
1: variety of reasons, and they suffer through a variety of modalities. And so the way I like to think about things, uh, not only with this case, but frankly, every case that walks into my office and every case that that presents in the altar area of our church, um, is that... People have three parts. It's a very Hebrew notion of a tripartite being. We, we have a body, uh, we have a mind, and we have uh, you know, a will, and, or if you will, a, a heart, uh, which is what the, the New Testament calls it. So there's this idea of the, 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 the intellect, there's this idea of the body, and there's this idea of the personality or the psychology of a person. And those, those three sides, you might think of it as a pyramid, and then the foundation of that pyramid is spirituality. I personally believe that uh, spiritual influences, both good and ill, can influence any of the three. I believe that Jesus can heal genes. Um, I believe that Jesus can encourage someone to have a new outlook on life or a new psychological perspective. Um, And I believe that can happen instantaneously, or I believe it can happen slowly. One we call a miracle and one we call healing. They're, They're both aspects of the same reality of becoming renewed in Christ. Uh, We call that the atonement, we call it sanctification, we call it glorification, where um, through the work that God has done in uh, the incarnation, uh, we become healed. Isaiah prophesied this, obviously, in chapter 53 of his book, because Jesus' stripes would would heal us, obviously. Um, And finally, there is uh, the intellect of the mind, and this can be affected, obviously, spiritually as well. We can be tormented. Uh, You know, Paul speaks to, to his uh disciples about a spirit of fear um which is you know and he says that's not us we've got a sound mind he talks about the things that we should think about and tells us how to fill our minds with certain types of things uh this is uh we're encouraged in in philippians to think on good things and pure things and things that are virtuous and so this is a, a an example really of a scriptural command to positive types of meditation. We know that um, there are secular or Eastern forms of meditation, which involve emptying out the mind, versus the Hebrew form of meditation, both in the Old and New Testaments, um, involves filling the mind with good things, or meditating on the Lord, or a quality of the Lord, or a testimony of His goodness. And filling the mind with this seems to be a way to fight the vacuum of, uh, frankly, a mind that is uh, distracted or a mind that is uh, emptied and, and, and quickly those types of of situations um tend to injure our mental health I, I just you know note quickly here when we talk about the interface of technology what we found was that the endless terminal scroll which you know obviously is paid for by somebody because when your eyeballs are on that screen uh there are advertisers that are gaining dollars um to keep you sort of down the rabbit hole if you will the endless scroll. the more time we spend with screens and with less time we spend with persons the lower our mental health is and that one reason for that is that we're not filling our mind with good things we're just sort of um either having mental uh refined carbohydrates if you will kind of mental uh sugar rush or we're just getting non-nutritive ideas in our head rather or, or negative things rather than that positive things so what was wrong with the boy in, in mark nine i think he had epilepsy um i, I really do um I, you know looking at the symptomatology of it I, I believe that from a medical diagnosis that i would have been correct to diagnose him with epilepsy i also believe that a spiritual influence was if you will hijacking this physical condition to try to harm the child to try to, to disrupt the family And to try to mar the image of God and This is what I believe Satan does with diabetes This is what I believe that he does with hypertension This is what I believe he does with broken families Or divorce, marital discord, infidelity This is what I believe that he does With pornography addiction Or that he does with lying or pride He takes, uh, or or with You know, a a wounded limb uh, An injury from war He takes a condition in a broken And a fallen world And he tries to utilize this wedge In order to drive us apart from God and his best for us to drive us apart from each other and to bring division within humanity and to bring doubt uh, within uh, the human divine relationship in terms of our obedience and experience of God so if you look at this family you know one of the obvious questions is scripture doesn't fill it in where's the mom we do realize this is a patriarchal culture yet um, the bond between uh, uh, a mother and a child as such, especially if a child's at risk, it's quite surprising to me. Even reading this, recognizing I'm reading from a Eurocentric culture, just knowing you know where's the mom, where's the family in this? Uh, but it's the father who presents the child. Um, you know, we, we don't hear anything from the mom or her input in the situation. So, you know, is this a broken
2: family? Uh, is this uh, a family that was broken by disruption? Is it broken by death? As it
1: was, did the mother die? And the child. Die? We don't, we don't know these questions. It's, of course, very dangerous to fill in the blanks with our own suppositions. But that's one of the questions that I have. And then Clearly, the, the, the Father is in is in great distress. And there's a, there's a perceived failure on the part of the Father uh, standing in the gap and the disciples standing in the gap. Because the disciples, because of uh, perhaps a lack of prayer and fasting, which Jesus indicates, are not able to exercise the spirit that's been taking advantage of the situation. <clears throat> pardon me. But the father says, you know, Jesus you believe? And and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he he cries out in tears. It's one of the most poignant and truthful moments in the New Testament. I I cannot read it or speak of it without pausing and and actually (laughs) becoming emotional, thinking
2: about this father who's so honest before Jesus. And, you know, the
1: right religious answer would have been, yes, I believe. You're the son of God. You can do anything you want. He says, I believe, but I'm also at mixed with doubt. One of the most encouraging responses I believe that Jesus makes in the entire to the gospel record is when he says, you know what? That's enough. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this in my West Tennessee vernacular. It's enough that you believe and you have some doubts, and you've been honest about those doubts, and so I'm going to heal your son. And so what we see is, um, we, we see um, a, a three truths in this story. One is um, ineffective ministry Cannot ultimately um, prevent God's sovereignty from taking hold of the situation because Jesus stepped in personally and took care of things. Um, human faith that's admixed with human doubt cannot
2: prevent sovereignty from acting on the situation uh, because ultimately the father's belief and his unbelief were enough. The belief and profession and the action
1: of taking him, you know, not through just one layer of religious help, but a second layer and getting directly to Jesus led to his child's healing. And finally, uh, Jesus doesn't need us to understand everything about a situation for His sovereignty to act on the situation in a salvific, a healing way. And so the father didn't have to walk around with an understanding of an, uh, you know, an electroencephalogram, an EEG. Didn't have to put any wires in this kid's head didn't have to understand how to pharmacologically address the situation with epilepsy. He didn't have to name the demon that was involved. He didn't have to to know what territory that demon was from. He didn't need special spiritual insight or special medical insight. He needed to get not answers but an answer capital A. He needed the Alpha and Omega. He got his child in the right presence and the child was healed. I think it's good for us as helping professionals, whether we whether our credentials are from a medical school or whether they're from a seminary, whether our call came directly from the Lord or if we're obeying a vocational—excuse me—a vocational, uh, excuse me, a vocational um, uh, calling that He has given us through education and through mentorship and talents and giftings that we've been uh, given, uh, both naturally and by the Holy Spirit. Regardless of, of which direction we're coming from, we don't have to know that this is 37 percent genetic it's 23% environmental, it is 30% uh, spiritual, and it's 10% uh, psychological in terms of personality. And so, you know, I need to beat this person up about not wanting to be well, or I need to blame this person's parents, or I need to, you know, roll around on the ground with this person for 45 minutes yelling and screaming at the top of my lungs and speaking in tongues and, and casting out this and that spirit, or I need to, um, you know, set them down with a textbook or bring them into a hospital and say, we need a cast in or a PET scan. You know, it, 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 any of those activities uh, might be appropriate. I will say if it's taking 45 minutes uh, for an exorcism, either you don't have a demon in play or you're not walking in the authority of the spirit, because I find no record in um, the New Testament of unsuccessful exorcisms except for these disciples who had not been praying and fasting, uh, and the sons of Sceva, who were not walking in the power of Jesus' name. So neither of those two communities actually had the indwelling power of the oneness message and the indwelling power of the Spirit. And so when we walk in that authority, what I find personally, is there's a prolonged spiritual engagement, one of two things is happening. Um, <laughs> You're not invoking the name of Jesus uh, properly in covenant, or you have a situation where a person does not want to be free. Um, and I actually refuse uh, to engage spiritually with people that, that don't want to be free. Um, I will give them the gospel message. I will, uh, you know, work with them. I will pray for them. But I'm not going to spend 45 minutes with someone um, who, who, who doesn't profess to desire to be free. It's, it's clear from the Gathering story that you know literally thousands of devils cannot prevent human sovereignty from having a voice in this realm. Uh, in this realm of earth and time and space, we're allowed to have a vote. And if people vote for freedom, uh, that spirit can't stay under the authority of the power of Jesus. But if people vote for bondage, then um, yeah, it's a bit of a different situation because Jesus has given them the individual human sovereignty to, to choose. So a little bit of background there. Let's talk about, so that's, a, uh, you know, where does this disease come from? Well, into another uh, diagnostic dilemma of these these uh, religious leaders who want to know the blind man, you know, blind from his mother's womb, and they show you two things. They're, they're not very good spiritually, and they're also not very good logically, because they say, um, who sinned? Did the man sin or his parents sin that he's blind? And the, the fact of the case where he had been blind from his mother's womb, and so, you know, unless you believe in in utero sin, I don't know what he could have been done doing in his mother's womb that was sinful and led to his His blindness, but clearly they missed a few facts in their
2: excitement uh, to try to trap Jesus. But Jesus said, you know, some of these things just happen. And so I think in our
1: Greco-Roman Eurocentric uh, modern Enlightenment idea of trying to find a cause all the time and delineate that cause and nosologically name that cause and categorize it and put it in our neat little box, uh, there are some spiritual traps that are built in there because there's some things we just don't understand. There's a reason why God is a judge and we're a witness. It's it's impossible to know uh, when a person sits to me in my office exactly what percentage of their illness is due to, to spiritual trauma, uh, to, to, to improper spiritual condition, what's due to genetics, what's due to environmental uh, uh, processes. And then, you know, I tell people, you know, every week in my office, generally, I tell people, you know, if you want to be well, I'm probably not. Dumb enough to keep you sick, but if you want to be sick, I'm not smart enough to get you well. You know what you bring to the table matters, but that individual personality component, um, the 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 contribution. I think very careful before we tell somebody, well, you just don't want to get over it. I've already prayed for you three times, and, and now you're still crying. So obviously, you just you know you you want to you want to be you don't you don't want freedom, but we have to be, we have to be very careful about this And a portion goes out, and and the story of the blind man. Uh, Points to that because Jesus said just something's happened for the glory of God. There is this universal fallenness that's in the world. There is the universal atonement that any human can participate in. Uh, It's available to whomsoever will. And we carry that word of reconciliation and we carry that ministry of reconciliation, Paul tells us. Five And it's two different things. The word of reconciliation is the glorious word of the gospel. Jesus has has paid for our atonement and we can participate in it and be healed through it. The ministry of reconciliation is a little bit harder. There's some sweat equity involved because we have to work with people. We have to talk with people. We have to listen to people. We have to engage with people in a healing relationship, a therapeutic relationship that uh, enables them to appropriate the truth of that gospel message into their daily circumstances. So the Word of Reconciliation is a Sunday event. The Ministry of Reconciliation uh, takes place on every day that ends, in why? Because it's, a, it's just what we have to continually bring to the purpose, uh, to, to, the, to the forefront. So let me stop there for a second, and ask if there's any questions or comments about the general theory about where illness comes from. And just one more, you know, wellness comes from God. Uh, James 1 and 17 says, um, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father and there's yeah. no variables no shadow of turn. It's very encouraging to me because I pick up the New England Journal of Medicine today and I say, okay, what's truth? What is truth? Well, truth as far as we know it is by the scientific method is, you know, a number of people agree on something, it's repeatable and and uh, the reviewers agree on it in a non-biased way. But it's the last year has taught us anything, anything. It is there's no such thing as dehumanized rational truth. It's you know, human beings interject their, their their opinions into everything. But, you know, objective truth, you know, I, I suppose 2 plus 2 is 4, but when you interpret what that means, you immediately enter the realm of human subjectivity. So what's encouraging to me is I can pick up the New England Journal today, and a year from now if I learn that everything I read in today's issue has been recanted or we found out that they faked the data, you know, when I pick up uh, the book of James, I'm dealing with eternal truth that does not change and and God doesn't change if there's something good that happens it comes from God now you can label it psychology you can label it pharmacology you can label it ecclesiology you can label it uh, spirit you can label it body you can label it mind but if it's good if it's truly good and it's perfect it comes from God gifts don't rise up gifts flow down uh, to all of us, and it rains the just, the unjust, and so we often think of that as punishment, but in a Near Eastern culture that lives perpetually in threat of doubt, drought, to say that it rains the just, the unjust, is to work into saying God's blessings do fall on all people. So everyone today on Earth is going to be blessed by sunshine. Everyone on Earth today is going to be blessed uh, by oxygen at 21% of the atmosphere. There are general blessings that occur. There are general curses that occur. We all struggle with sin, and death that have been unleashed on this universe by our ancestors. Well, so it is that when we find healing, it comes through God, whether it comes uh, through any label, whether that is a pill that we take, whether it is exercise that we engage in, whether it is smart counseling uh, that is, um, um, you know, anchored in biblical truths, no matter the label that's put on it, whether it's meditation that we do that is positive and, and helps to anchor our minds in good things, um, whether it's a healthy diet that we participate in. All these things come from God. If it's true, it comes from Him. If it's false, it comes from us. And uh, I think the, the, the Christian practitioner, be he or she uh, a ministerial practitioner or a, or, or a health practitioner or a counseling practitioner, the Christian practitioner understands that there's a lot of force behind healing, and we don't have to... Uh, we don't have to, to apportion why
2: a person gets well; they just get well uh, when God's involved, and that can happen through
1: human understanding, or it can happen outside human understanding. I'll pause here to ask if there are any questions or, or comments that
0: you have at this point. So, I I think it's incredible that we can look at you know these biblical examples, and we could we can put a medical diagnosis on these situations, um, and and. I never really looked at it that way before. So when you're saying that, you know, these spirits, these demons are uh, entering into or accessing these um, these infirmities and sort of amplifying them to attack individuals, um, you know, so when you look at it from this perspective – there are things that happen in life that seem to make a little more sense obviously we know you know you you meant you you mentioned it we live in a fallen world we were when adam and eve sinned you know all these different problems we started aging we had all these different things that were happening to our physical bodies obviously you know infirmity is one of those things um you know and sickness and so just the few things that you mentioned just i really never never looked at it that way and that's one of the things that this podcast is all about it is sort of opening you know these these doors um of understanding um and perspective that allow us to look at different things obviously you know you're you're in the medical practice you these are things that not only are you, um, you learning about, you, you're training in, in ways to deal with these, these things and, and these problems. So I just think that that is – I think that's incredible. And I, and I think that it's revelatory that we can – that God has given us the ability to see things from different perspectives if we would allow ourselves to.
2: Yeah, I,
1: I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for those kind of comments. And in terms of Mark 9, I, you know, let's let's be very clear. Spiritual uh, possession uh, was a problem
2: in, in the young man's case. Um, and we don't know how that happened. Uh, we don't have that
1: backstory, But somewhere along the line, um, you know, a spirit became intimately involved in the situation. But from a medical standpoint, we would diagnose the symptoms as epilepsy. So I personally believe that when Jesus healed the young man, um, the spirit was cast out but also there's a healing that occurred in his neurons that that honestly if i could have been there somehow through some time machine and could have had an eeg on the kid a week before he met jesus and a week after he met jesus that you'd see a difference in the eeg that there would have been a a, a diagnosable demonstrable physical healing that occurred in his body even though it was a spiritual phenomenon that was manifesting in that way so you know let's 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 go back to what C.S. Lewis said about the spiritual world with respect to demons. Um, C.S. Lewis obviously revered author in the uh, broader evangelical community and certainly many of us as uh read him as well and he wrote of course this uh, short book called The Screwtape Letters which uh, many have read and it sort of gives us some insight into how you know the enemy works against us it's, it's, it's quite a fascinating book of fiction and, but one of the greatest theological works that I've read honestly but he said there are two errors about demons that humans make. One is to dismiss them and to pretend they don't exist, and the other is to have an unhealthy interest in them. And so, you know, uh, Paul warned the Colossian church in chapter two to not be involved in what we would call angelology and unhealthy um, an unhealthy interest. In spirituality uh, uh, in terms of principalities and powers and all this and he sums it all up by saying you know you can stack it on top of stacks on top of stacks the end of it all is Christ is in direct authority over good angels and evil angels also are subject to his power he is the head of all principality and power whether it is aligned itself with good or evil so I don't believe there's a devil behind every bush um, if there is one behind every bush, then there are two angels there. Revelation teaches us that only one-third of the stars fell from heaven, indicative of the fact that, you know, there are more with us than are against us, um, as a prophet in the Old Testament uh, testified. And so, you know, in terms of spiritual warfare, I think that, um, you know, and, you know is, is the devil working through this diabetes? Well. Yes, and no. I mean, you know, if your blood sugar is 300, you probably don't need an exorcism. You don't need to cast the devil out. You probably need to cast the Twinkies out uh, and the Kool-Aid because there are physical elements that we can take. Now, you know, uh, obviously, we want to be sensitive. There are people, you know, age is a risk factor for diabetes. And so my risk factor is going up every day. Um, genetics, huge risk factor and people's metabolism. And so you know, it's not just dietary choices or whether people have, quote, a spirit of infirmity, close quote. that that leads them to a complex chronic disease like diabetes. But, you know, in point of fact, um, you know, the choices that we make do, do matter. Now, you know, is Satan involved with his imps with with diabetes? Well, I would say for a Christian who's trying to turn to the Lord and utilize their lives in a way that glorifies him, of course the enemy wants to hijack that situation and wants to discourage someone. Of course the enemy wants to, uh, to, to decrease our faith. Of course, the enemy wants to condemn someone. Let's say they get up in the blood sugar is one hundred and fifty, and they remember, you know, I don't know, a piece of potato that they had on June seventeenth, and they condemn themselves over that and say, "Oh, well, I'll never get well because I haven't done what I was supposed to do." You know. <clears throat> Condemnation is always demonic there, there is no other category for condemnation uh, it's, just, it's just not supposed to be there The human emotion of guilt Is to be utilized for conviction only That's what it's for is To draw us to Christ Condemnation is a hijacked emotion To, to push us away from Christ And his best for us And so wherever condemnation dwells you know, it's, it's, not, it's not Jesus that came in and said you know, um, Remember that potato You're a loser you know, That's not his voice you know? uh, That's not the way he operates so you know, I think it's important for us to remember that uh, the
2: enemy can hijack situations; doesn't always cause situations. And as Pentecostals, we are famous for you know wanting to to um, you know lay hands on people
1: and shake their heads and anoint them with oil and scream at them and all those things that, that, that all of us love to do. And, and you know, all of these could be appropriate practices, but sometimes we might be a little more quotidian in our our our. Uh, Exercises and, and I, it's fun here. We we could we could tell some people to exercise. You know, uh, walking around the community and praying might be beneficial for the body and might be beneficial for the spirit. <laughs> you know, we could encourage people to exercise. I, you know, I, I do want to mention here in terms of mental health and physical health. <clears throat> I applaud. I applaud um, the the historic stance that contemporary Pentecost has taken on uh, drugs and abuse such as uh, excessive alcohol, uh, nicotine consumption, uh, illicit substances such as, you know, mushrooms that, that, that cause you to, to hallucinate, marijuana that causes you to, to uh, have hallucinations, different things. I, I think that's wonderful. I think we are open, however, to a charge of inconsistency when we don't, uh, if, if we're going to base all of those teachings, which frankly we do, on um, stewardship of the body uh you know it's possible that we're not quite as consistent when it comes to dietary intake and when it comes to exercise uh, Mm. in terms of stewardship you know you can't be JTPU if you die at 35 Um, and so you know how we take care of our health um, is important because although our spirits may be mighty uh, and, and it may be mighty through God, just pulling down strongholds in terms of of uh, what Christ is doing in us. For this world, we have to be physically present to count. Uh, you know, whatever God's got for us in that world, so be it. And when His time is there, let's let's, let's get after it. Um, but for this world, if I'm going to affect my family, I need to be alive for them. And so, the stewardship of my body is important because you know this body that I have is the only vessel that Jesus has to affect this world through me, um, you know, what, again, what he does in the New Jerusalem and the New Earth, you know, that he hasn't even told us all that and told us that he didn't tell us all that, so that's a lot of that is, I yes, speculation, but for here and now, I need to take care of myself as well as I can, uh, again, with the caveat that we, you know, you can't look at people and be judgmental and say, well, you're 13 pounds overweight, you loser, you're not spiritual, you're not taking care of your body, genetics environment, all these things, so this information is not for the judgment of our brothers and sisters. It's to provoke one another to good works and say, you know what, uh, if somebody does get out there and they, they run uh, five miles a day, they jog five miles a day, you know, that's, that's a great thing. And I applaud that discipline uh, because, you know, if they're keeping their physical uh, body healthy, that, that's a good thing. They're, they're being good stewards. But, you know, we don't want to make an idol out of anything. If somebody has saved and therefore they can give more to the kingdom of God, that's wonderful, but we don't worship millionaires uh, any more than we worship people who look like they belong on a cover of a, of a magazine. Because anything that we place ahead of Christ, even though it's a good thing, uh, becomes idolatrous. And so it's, there's a fine line between stewarding the body and worshiping the body. Our culture is very much into the latter. We as a church must be very much into the former. We are stewards, not worshipers, of a, of a false a false close our time together a little bit today with uh, just a few comments about mental wellness. We talked about mental illness and where it may arise from. I want to go on record as saying um, they're just like they're two heirs with demons, denying them and also being inappropriately fascinated with them. I think the same comment could be paraphrased to do with uh, medical diagnoses and psychological counseling. I think that um, there are people that derive a great deal of help from pharmacology, from medicines. And I prescribe mental health medications, if not every day, uh, multiple times every week. I believe that they do help people, just like I believe that uh, pills for hypertension help people and for uh, pills for diabetes help people. If all my hypertensives and diabetics, you know, ran a marathon all the time and did their diet perfectly, there'd still be some of them that need medicine but many of them would be helped. and If all my folks who suffered from major depressive disorder you know, meditated on good things all the time, got out and exercised, had good family relationships, came to church and, and did all those things, yes, much of the depression would be eliminated and alleviated, but there would probably be still some of those that have, honestly, a genetic predisposition for it. We know there are neurotransmitters in the brain that don't work right in some folks. And so to condemn those people and to say that you are not spiritually right because you're suffering from a mental condition i think is is inappropriate
2: i think it uh may be well intentioned at times but it is misinformed uh in my opinion and i think we
1: need to give great grace to people as we're operating on this and remember jesus warning to the, the pharisees who said you know you really don't know what's going on here this is really for god's glory and you know jesus could have clued him in said, so i've got supernatural insight to that i know why this man sealed. you don't so Stop it with the the inappropriate diagnoses. I I think we have to be very careful uh, when we assign meaning to a situation. Meaning is God's purview. Sometimes he shares it with us and other times he doesn't. If you've been Job's friends, you would have done better to be quiet for seven days than to open your mouth for seven minutes because they were doing great until they started speaking. Presence in the face of illness is valuable. Um, Prognostication. Maybe not so much. We need to be humble when we approach people. And yes, God gives words of knowledge. Yes, he gives words of wisdom. We have supernatural abilities sometimes to have insight into people's condition. But let's make sure that's supernatural. Um, just because you downloaded um, a PDF on essential oils or an anti-inflammatory diet doesn't qualify as you a medical professional. Uh, just because you're a medical professional doesn't mean that you're qualified to know everybody's spiritual business. And just because... Um, you're an exercise nut, and you're great about it. And you, you know, your body fat is, you know, point four percent. That doesn't mean that, you know, if, if somebody doesn't look like you, that they're not a good steward. We have to be very careful, very careful about that. So, uh, enough about the mental illness, and, and I think we've, we've covered that uh, to some degree. I want to talk about mental wellness for just a second, and specifically about happiness. Um,
2: our culture, uh, to the extent that people. Um, are
1: Christian in North America, and, and of course we are entering a post-Christian era. It didn't take the pandemic to cause that. The pandemic uncovered it, and so the, the 20 to 40 percent uh, drop in attendance at mainline denominations, you know, was precipitous during the pandemic, but it began far before. And so, you know, we know only Charismatics, Pentecostals uh, and apostolics have shown uh, strong numeric growth over the last 20 to 30 years uh, in in uh, North American Religious culture, or other so called growth in the church growth movement has really been transfer growth. It's not new birth experiences uh, defined by, by any form of the three uh, fold part of the new birth experience, you know, repentance, water baptism, and the influence of the spirit. Even uh, what our uh, friends in nominal Christianity would call decisions for Christ um, have, have, have been, uh, church growth has been driven by transfers rather than new people coming to even repentance law. Uh, with Jesus, so um, as our culture slides toward Christian uh, status, what about the nominal Christian church? Well, what is is now uh, very popular is uh, what we might call moral uh, therapeutic deism. You know, do good and feel good, and and you're okay. And this is um, a doctrine that doesn't take very seriously the universality of human. Uh, entry into Adam, Adamic sin uh, it doesn't take seriously the need for the gospel what it takes seriously is the need for somebody to help you feel better um, so when we talk about happiness uh, I think it's incredibly insightful to turn to the scriptures for what happy uh, means in the scripture and if you look at it uh, in my uh, I don't have Clayton Killian's knowledge of the scriptural languages but in my research all I've found uh, is one place where happy means what we usually mean in a Eurocentric culture where it's an emotional state and it's, uh, it's happy are the wicked and their wicked their happiness is short lived when we talk about happy are the people of God happy are the children of God happy are covenant people that happiness is more uh, properly translated blessed and so that really changes the way that we're pursuing happiness, the fact we Jefferson's words from the Declaration of Independence of the United States, when we're pursuing happiness, what we're actually pursuing from a biblical standpoint is not an emotional state, but an objective reality of living within God's blessing, of appropriating his covenant peace for those that have entered in through the new covenant with Christ's blood. And that is objective. That doesn't depend on my 401k. That doesn't depend on the status of my health and whether I got good news from the doctor or bad news. From the doctor. It Honestly, it doesn't depend on, you know, whether my kids are in a good mood or not, or whether their hair is straight or not, or whether they just played in the toilet again for the 37th time today. And my wife just raised her eyebrows, said, you know, in an unspoken way, you were on watch, you allowed this to happen. Not that that's ever happened in our household, but if it were to happen. You know, the objective reality is today, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. That's the blessing. The Lord is my God. I know his name. His name is Jesus. He lives in me. That is an objective blessed statement so I can be happy today. Well, let's look at a little research. Now that we define happiness, let's talk about what, what things pretend to happiness. What, what predicts happiness? Well, uh, misery loves company and so does happiness. Happiness actually behaves like an infectious disease. Um, we spent the last year or so distancing ourselves, wearing masks to prevent COVID, and that was good. We should have Um, maybe we should also distance ourselves from people who have froward mouths. Uh, you know, blessed is the person happy is the person who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful being around unhappy people, Mm. um, causes you to have a higher, uh, predictive rate of being unhappy and being around happy people, uh, predicts that you'll be happy. In fact, Brandon, if you know me and I happen to be a happy person, I increase your risk of happiness by about 9%. And then if your friend doesn't know me, let's call him Bob, that he doesn't know me at all, but he knows you, I increase his risk of happiness by about 7%. Bob's friend Susie doesn't know you, doesn't know me, but does know Bob. I still have an influence on Susie's happiness by about Mm. 3%. Beyond three degrees of separation, it's Kevin Bacon game here. Beyond three degrees (laughs) of separation, it doesn't have an effect. But for three degrees of separation, I can influence the world around me. Now think about how many people you know. Then we get to, we are the light of the world. See, the set of you cannot be hid. Think about the ripple effect of a person being blessed in Christ because she knows who her God is and she's going to do exploits. She impacts not only everyone around her. She impacts everyone they know and everyone that that second group of people knows. And so truly, you know, one can put a thousand a flight, two can put 10,000 a flight. It doesn't take many of us in a city to actually begin to transform the culture. Arlington, you know, the town of Arlington intends to bless Arlington United, and they do. You know, uh, the, the, the gentleman who we signed a lease with today said, When are you having your first service? Are you going to have a reception? I'd like to donate all the catering for your first reception. That's a blessing. Okay. So God's going to bless Meridian properties because they're blessing us. But make no mistake about it, the 20 to 25 people that meet there on Sunday are a tremendous blessing to the 13,000 people of our town. And because we are a city set on a hill, we are spreading happiness around us like a virus it's like a wildfire because we are the people of peace in our city we are the people of righteousness in our city not, not because of our righteousness but because of his righteousness we are the people of joy in our city not because uh this the demons are subject to us and not because we can cast out cancers and not because we can uh uh seek healing over depression not because we can speak healing over those who truly are demon possessed uh, that want to be free, and we can offer them freedom, just as Jesus did. That's not the reason we're the people of joy. We are the people of joy because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have an objective reality that cannot be changed. And so if we lose that lease tomorrow, if everybody stops giving, if, if, if I go nuts to start teaching, you know, that uh, you know, Buddha is equivalent to Jesus, and, and they have to get a new pastor, everybody in that church is still blessed objectively because they're walking in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ that Peter threw open the door to in Acts 2.38, and Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5, opens an entirely new creative reality that God is doing in us, through us, for us, and because of us, that the entire universe, he says in Romans 8, is waiting to see unveiled in the people of the name. And I'm so excited to be part of that project. Um, I'd love to talk about this for four hours. Probably could, as you can see. Um, but delighted to talk about how uh, God helps us as helping Christians, be it in a professional sense of, of medicine, of counseling, of, of ministry. God helps us to understand understand what people are going through. Sometimes he helps us to put correct labels on it. But he always causes us to try out the Christ when we offer the word and the ministry of reconciliation to people. And we can always be a help. We need to
2: be humble in the helping we need to be judicious in the labeling.
1: We need to be careful in the assigning of meaning because we are just as fallible as the people that we're trying to help. We have yeah. be supernaturally power if we're walking in covenant. Uh, we may be professionally trained, either ministerially or medically or uh, psychologically. But even then, we must rely on the healing power of the Holy Spirit because all good gifts do come. From him, and, and we're relying on that right. to bring he- to people. We
2: are conduits; we're not sources. And so we have to remember that uh, and be humble. You know, and that goes for if we're praying with people in a in what we call the altar area, the
1: response space. It comes if we're counseling people. It comes if we're listening to their s- chest with a stethoscope. And it comes if we're prescribing medication. It comes if we're preaching or speaking and edifying our, as we are on this electronic podcast today. But the wonderful, encouraging thing that I take is that the power of God's spirit is with his people. He has emboldened us. And so if the devil pops up his head, we know how to cast that devil out. If, um, you know, if, if it's a physical condition and there needs to be a physical remedy, then we are blessed to point to people who can help in that arena. If there's a uh, a person who needs encouragement psychologically, they're very down. They they need information. Then the, you know, biblical counseling is available, and fellowship is available, and fellowship with the body of Christ helps us uh, to be free from some of these besetting uh, mindsets that can that can hinder us. And so, whatever we face, whatever walks through the door on Sunday at two thirty, God's empowered us as a church to handle. And by the way, when we walk out of the door at 345, whatever we meet, the remainder of those 167 hours that we have in the week, God has empowered us there. And just as Peter and John found, that they could reach down their hands and they say, I don't have much of this other stuff, but what I've got, I'll give you. What we have to offer is enough. being edifying. What we have to offer at the moment of people's need is enough in Jesus to to get those people the salvation and healing that uh, that they're reaching for and that they're crying out for. I think I've talked enough, Brandon. I'm going to close.
0: All right. so um, before we, you know, completely close out the podcast for this episode, I want to just maybe ask what you think about when Jesus was healing people, they weren't just healed of whatever was so lepers. They were healed, but then they were also made whole. And when they were, if they were maimed, they, they were healed and then made whole. And so I wonder if when we are accessing the Holy Ghost that flows through us in certain times, because I think that healing and um you know miracles they have a specific time i think that you know when the divine interjects with the natural you know that's when so when jesus was walking the earth certainly people were healed and and people were blessed because he was they they had that interaction with that with the divine and so when you know we're interacting with our communities and our societies you know we we've got to i don't know the best way to put it but maybe, you know, think less about our own opinions and maybe just allow the Holy Ghost to lead us because the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered the Lord and we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. So if we are actually following after the Spirit and being led and God's ordering our steps, then, you know, we... I, I feel like that interconnection between the divine and the natural or the supernatural would be more evident. Yeah, I mean, that's ministry. Ministry is grabbing heaven with one hand and grabbing earth with another and
2: refusing to let go of either. That's that's what ministry is. Um, but your grip will be
1: tested on both counts. So you know it's it's process. Let's take let's take the case of lepers. There are ten of them. Um there's a threefold healing that's offered to these people. The first is the 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 mortal nature of their skin disease was stopped. Jesus did that instantaneously miraculously for all 10 of them. Through faith and his divine power, he healed them. Okay, yeah. so I'm not gonna die of leprosy anymore. But then he says, go and show yourself to the priest."
2: We can take that as a religious statement, but really it's a medical statement. Um, the In that society, the people who are responsible for stopping the spread of leprosy were the priests. Look at the
1: Old Testament laws their job was to keep leprosy from spreading through the camp. And God was very specific about what to do in a house, what to do with a piece of leather, what to do with a pot, uh, with a person if leprosy is there. So the priests were there. um, In that capacity, they're acting as epidemiologists. And so Jesus says, you know, here's your individual healing, but if you want social reconciliation, You're going to have to submit to the societal process. Mm -hmm. And so their individual healing happened. Then there was a social component that happened because they were obedient. Okay, that's great. Now I can go back home. I'm not going to die. I can go back home and I can kiss my wife and kids again. But thirdly, you know, there was a tithe of that group of people that came back with gratitude. And gratitude, the personal, Psychologic orientation, the spiritual reality of having determined to be thankful was necessary for wholeness. I think it's one of the hidden gems of the new Testament so much. I, I can walk you through the data. Gratitude will lower your blood pressure. Gratitude will improve your business. Gratitude will, will help you sleep better. Gratitude makes you more productive. If, if I had gratitude pills and could pass them out to people in my practice, I could fish every morning to 10.30 and come in later because there'd be less people in my office. Um, you know, gratitude is, is such a powerful, powerful thing. And, you know, there's a reason why Paul said, in everything, give, not for everything, give thanks. Don't be in dumb. Everything. Don't give yeah. people bumper stickers all hallmark. <laughs> our humiliation. You know, let's they, be thankful your arm got cut off because, you know, who knows? That, that's God help us uh, from dispensing dumb advice. Um, we don't give thanks in everything. We give thanks for, uh, excuse me, we don't give thanks for everything. We give thanks in everything. And so I may not be thankful for my situation, but I can be thankful in my situation. That's that objective reality of being blessed. I know I'm God's child no matter what happens. That
2: is incredibly empowering, and it enables me to have the gratitude that I
1: need to, to spring forward in a, in, a, in a positive
2: and meaningful way.
0: Amen. Well, Brother Jackson, I really appreciate your time. Um, I'm excited about this episode. Um, I'm looking forward to the feedback we're going to receive from it. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll be able to connect again and have you talk about uh, another subject that you're passionate about. But uh, we're very thankful to have you on, and uh, we appreciate you very much. God bless you. God bless absolutely. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.